satellite at another time. Now, now, in looking over there on that couch, I have some large mailing envelopes. Uh-huh. Each one is labeled differently for different things, newspaper clippings and programs and so forth. And it would be some of those things that I think you would be interested in learning about. Oh, I would be. Thank you. Um. But my girl who has been my secretary in making that collection ends and adjusting and to the pro to my own program. She has been ill. The people who have been helping me since I've lost my sight have either been diabetics or lower back <laughs> illnesses. You pick them, huh? <laughs> After I pick them, then that's what I discover is the matter with them. <laughs> so, um, and I have a, a book for the library. I don't know whether it's over there or back in the other room. I have a volume that always ever be that big square and thick labeled Negro Volunteers in Girl Scouting that I intend to put in the Julia Davis Library. Absolutely. Because, well, I discovered doing that through the um, leaders group of the Girl Scouts of the city. And memorabilias are being collected I started last year, I think it was. The National Organization of Scouting wanted all that you could get together that would denote the history of scouting in your area. That could be, a sample of it, could be put in the historical drum and that drum is to be buried somewhere in New York for so many, so many years, you know. Mm -hmm. Like a cornerstone of a building where yes. historical things are placed. And that started me getting this volume together with all the newspaper clippings and letters and little, little things here and that and notebooks and so on that I had kept a hold of. And even troop registration applications from the National to organize the organization of this troop. The first Negro troop was organized in St. Louis at Sumner High School, 1928. I had the original copy of that registered truth. And there's things like that that I have in this book. 
and the names of the girls who were in that first troop. I thought you did the first troop. This is the troop of the city. I did the first Catholic troop. Oh, Catholic. I knew you did it at Catholic churches, but I thought you just needed a place to, to meet. Okay. First Catholic, Negro Catholic troop. And uh, I have that all in a notebook and have it all wrapped up. I don't know whether, I can't put my hands on it right now because I don't know whether it's over there on that couch or whether it's back in the other room mixed in with things that still need to be organized and classified. And that's what I'd like to get together so you could see when or if you could come another time. I can come another time. Um, Mercedes, you got, you, you, you got married. Is that correct? 1953. December 29th. Um, over on that casing over there in that corner, mm -hmm. I think is a picture of my husband and these two um, I don't know what we want to call these two things, but his picture is, he is in the stand that's on top of the television. There are two of them, two square, I don't know what you would call those things. They're not bookends, no. but there's a picture, right. there's a mold of a man at the top of it right, with a suitcase oh, oh, they're under trophies. Yeah, his suitcase under his arm. Trophies. Well, that was my husband. Alan Spiller. Alan J. Spiller. Mm -hmm. Elk of the Year, 1976, Key West Lodge, number 1472, and a lot of letters underneath that. Mm-hmm. I-B-O-P-F-W, something like that, I don't yes. know. I never did join it. And uh, I suppose the black, no, this is Elk of the Year Award, Key West Elk Lodge, mm -hmm. St. Louis, 76. Um, tell me about Alan Spiller. <laughs> That's a different story. That's not my history, that's his history. That's history, that's your history. <laughs> um, did you have children? No. When I was about, I guess I was 12 or 13 years old, his sister, much older, older sister, and our family were neighbors on Finney Avenue. And he was in the Navy, and this younger sister came up from one of the southern states and stayed with the sister up here, so we became close friends. Mm -hmm. And she did housework and met a young man that she wanted to marry, and uh, I was the only girl or woman that she knew. Mm -hmm. 
and I stood with her in her wedding. But she had written to her brother Alan and asked him to give her away. So he came to St. Louis to give her away in marriage, yep. and we became friends. That was that, and wherever he went, I got a letter, a postcard, a gift, or something from him. And he was seven years in the Navy. He came out of the Navy to give her away, but he went back, you know, after the wedding. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when he was discharged from the Navy, he lived in San Diego and was married out there to a lady who he thought she loved him. But he, uh, he was quite a prosperous realtor then, uh, 14 years. And uh, he wasn't making enough money for her. So she fixed him a very, very good dinner one evening and put strychnine in it. And when he came in to eat, it began to disturb him. Wondering why he was getting so hard at his stomach. And about then he said, I'm not well, I'm sick, getting sick. And he had a, hmm, I guess it was a greyhound. His dog was a big dog, like a greyhound, raced off. Mm -hmm. And seemingly the dog sensed it, that he wasn't well. And he said that dog broke through the screen door and went to the neighbor and brought the neighbor back. For heaven's sake. And they got a, a doctor and a nurse stay with him the entire night. Okay. to pump his stomach and that's the way he came out of that but very 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 bitter about associating with other people so when he came back to St. Louis to visit his sister and I was still hanging around here <laughs> you were here so I had a chance to pack up my little mama in a little steamer trunk <laughs> and took her out to San Diego to visit with him. Oh. And uh, I was glad to give my mother a trip because I had only taken her to New York and this was another trip out to San Diego. So he made it very nice and pleasant for us there. And that was in the summer. And when I got back home that December, I got a little box in the mail with a ring in it and said, here it is, darling. Aww. So we married in December of 53. And I called New York to tell my dad. He said, what y'all wait so long for? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's nice. oh, 
So my dad came from New York to give me away. And that's the way that got started. That's but also after Alan got out of the Navy and during those 14 years after that, during those 14 years after that, he was drafted into the Army Air Force as Terrett Gunner. Was it the Korean War? No, second. Oh, the, in the second war. Oh, I thought you meant after he... Oh, that was after you were married in 53. So he was in the Second World War? Uh-huh. That was before we married. But he was working for the city of San Diego, and they pulled some government maneuvers or something and got him out of the Air Force and back on the job for, <laughs> for the city of San Diego. And it was during that time after he got out of the Air Force that we visited back and forth and finally got married in December of 53. I'd like to pull you in another direction right now. I'd like to ask you, you've, you're 88 years old. You've lived here all your life except for a little bit of... Summers. Yes. Um, You've seen a lot of this city. Um, you've been involved in uh, scouting, which, and I'm sure a number of other things that we haven't talked about. How do you see the city has changed as far as Caucasian and, and Negro uh, relationships? What do you see? What did you see? And I know it's a big question, but just, um, I, I suppose I'm... Well, I don't know one thing. Yes, all the people that I have come in contact with, Caucasians, Asians, otherwise, have been as cordial as they could be. And we learned from each other. And I think just got along very well then. Because with my mother's injury of her leg and not being able to get around much as a child, I was always running around with my dad. And I had a big tent. And the boys in the neighborhood would go want to go camping overnight and borrow my tent. Oh my dad, if I can't go, they can't have my tent. <laughs> I meant that. Well, finally they kept talking and talking about, oh, well, we'll, we'll, oh, we'll let her come to our supper or something, some cookout they were going to have. And I got along very better with the neighborhood boys and then the girls, and the girls didn't have, they weren't in the organizations that I was in. Not even a Sunday school class. Because there's such a few of them, and they belonged to different churches. And soon moved out of town. So there I was stuck by myself. Made my own way, made my own friends. 
wherever they were. Got along very well. Did your parents give you a philosophy of any kind? Something? You, you told me that, um, I think on the phone, that um, you were taught that there was no difference in people. Because I never saw any. And when I had to stay with my grandparents because of my mother's injury, she would stay with her sister on her side or someone like that who could help take care of her. And I was stuck with my grandparents. And uh, there's no difference made. Germans on the right side of the of my grandparents' house. The coffee pot stayed on the stove all the time. Anybody coming up and down the street, neighbor from across the street, to everybody would, oh, come on, have a cup of coffee. I just made donuts, had some. And they grew, grew up like that. Uh, Irish were across the street from me. This was this was as a youngster before I was 20 years old. Which street was it? Kennerly. On Kennerly. 4200 block. And we just got along all right. Didn't have any trouble until we moved on Maffet Avenue in two room flat. And we lived on the west side of Lambden, and there was a cow pasture on the right side. And they used to tease me, you better get by there quickly, Ray, and all that red, the cow's gonna get after you. The cow's not gonna bother me, I'm not gonna bother the cow. <laughs> and uh, one year, a Caucasian family moved in east of Lambden, down towards Sarah. And there was a boy in the family who took his time or chances to walk up as close as he thought he was in a safe area towards Lambden with the Negro children living on the other side of Lambden. And he had only come so far up to the fence. And some of our boys were going down to Lambden to come across Lambden to St. Louis Avenue to the store and he'd get so scared he'd jump back or something. And there was a little harassment or teasing there but nothing violent until he finally went on back down on his end and never came back. And that's the only incident I remember of the being anything about mixture. But there were the Germans, the Irish, the Slovaks, the Chinese, the Negroes, and others that I didn't know what they were. All in that area from St. Louis Avenue back to Martin Luther King, what they call it now.
on the south and from Taylor Avenue on the west to Sarah on the east. And we're talking 1920s? The 20s and 30s. 19s, 20s, and 30s. Was the Depression, did that oh, make, yes, yes. make a big change for you? Yes. How, how did that affect you? Well, we had to be careful about what little money we had, how to spend it. You got a pound of margarine and, and a little plastic bag of food coloring on top of that. You put it in a bowl and mix it all up together until it looked like butter. <laughs> then put it in those little trays to make it like sticks of butter. Bread was a nickel a loaf. There was a German but butcher and I, uh, what did I buy from him on a Saturday morning? Oh, liver. And <laughs> he used to get so mad at me getting liver every Saturday morning. Why don't you buy some of my steaks? Why don't you buy some of my steaks? My steak is just as good as the liver. <laughs> I said, that's not what my mother sent me for. She told me to get a dime's worth of liver. <laughs> um, but that's it. I didn't have any trouble. How did things change when, when the um, uh, schools were integrated? Hmm. How was that for you? Where were you? When it was 1954. Or 1954 when the <coughs> law was changed. Yes. No, I was teaching then. And I had already been assigned to the school. Where were you? What school? I don't remember. I don't remember now. I know. What school? Um, do you remember any uh, any of the incidents that that would have marked the integration or the change of of uh, students or uh, change? Fifty four. Mm -mm. Well, fifty five. Whenever it happened to you, whenever you became aware physically. That no, you see, we were mixed then in fifty four. Mm -hmm. We had, there was a school for Negro children with disabilities and the school for the Caucasians with disabilities. And in 54, those two schools were merged together in the Michael School. And we all went there. The teaching staff was mixed. The therapy staff was mixed. The doctors and nurses were mixed. What was in one group, they had it in the other also. Even to the janitorial system was mixed. If there was a head custodian from Michael, there was a head custodian who had been head custodian at Turner all on equal footing and all work together. Now the principal was principal of Michael's school. 
the principal from Turner School came over as the assistant to the principal at Michael. One was principal, the other was assistant. What Everything was mixed. What did you teach? Middle grades, third and fourth, and the fifth. Turner School was in the Ville. Yeah, on Kennedy Avenue. Uh -huh. And that's, that's the one where the windows and the doors would be open? Is that the one that, what, what was the school that, oh, my memory fails me, darn. Something that happened recently? No, 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 this was way back. Where the doors were open? And the windows, they kept it open for. Oh, that was the part of the school building. Yes. Turner School <coughs> housed four educational divisions. There was a school for the open air. That's it. There was a school for the deaf. There was a school for the low vision. And the school for the orthopedic. And I was in the school for the orthopedic. When did you uh, begin to have trouble with your eyesight? Always had it, <laughs> yes. But... Uh, As a child? Oh, yeah. I was sent home before first grade started, almost. And had to be put in glasses then. And from then on. Uh, but I had... Where was I? Oh, I had been to New York to see my dad and came back with a detached retina. And that started the surgery on my eyes and I lost the sight in my right eye. And uh, after that, about six years after that, I developed glaucoma in the left eye. And it took surgery also. And uh, the doctor said that would not last longer than six years. And it was six years to the day that my sight left me in the left eye. So I had no sight at all after 72, 1972. That was it. Who operated on you? I had a very good team of doctors. Dr. Sebus was head of the team. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was a good man. I know of him. You know of him? Yes. And a wonderful character. Mm -hmm. And then one of our Negro ophthalmologist who trained under Cebus was Dr. Samuel Canaan. Mm -hmm. He's still living. And I went to him for a couple of years to keep up with me. My mother used Dr. Cebus. Mm -hmm. I, I, yes. um, so that that particular uh, 
uh, law that we were talking about, the immigration went, went very smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, With the two schools mm-hmm. joining and joined every department of the schools were mixed. Mm-hmm. Where was the Michael School? I don't know. Forest Park and Euclid. Forest Park and Euclid. The little low school on the south east corner mm-hmm. of the, Forest Park and Euclid. The other thing I uh, would like to ask you about and then uh, was the public accommodations when people began to be able to go wherever they wanted to or do whatever they wanted to do and become able to move in the city as they wished. Uh, how did that affect you and your husband? It didn't. He had been used to working in mixed groups with the lodges and the Navy and the Air Force and all. And nothing, nothing like that phased him at all. Didn't bother me. It sounds as though you you were able to maintain a a life of um, above the things that might have been happening. It, it's just you. You seem to. It didn't bother us at all. I guess because of the people we surrounded ourselves with, and, uh-huh. and the interests. Interests with both groups, and uh, I would have Girl Scout committee meetings at my house, and when they would come in, who got the first hug, the first kiss? (laughs) But one of them, as my husband was, he says, your friends are my friends, my friends are your friends. And we took them all like that. And he detested anyone walking up and introducing somebody to him. Oh, how do you do? <laughs> what do you mean? So he would walk up to him and grab him, hug him, and <laughs> kiss him on the forehead and say, Okay, girl, you're with us. Come on, let's go. <laughs> were, were you or your husband involved at all in any... Um, um, Demonstrations? You read my mind. (laughs) No. No. And the only place, although he was a lodge man and a Shriner, that took him everywhere, Mm -hmm. regardless of race, creed, or color. He was a Shriner. And I still have his Shrine ring and was told that I could wear it whenever I wanted to. Mm-hmm. He says, but be sure if you're traveling alone, wear the ring. I've had that kind of protection all, all of my married life. Hmm. You all were meant for each other, weren't you? We thought so. <laughs> <laughs> Mercedes, yes. you've been very patient, very kind, and. May I give you a glass of cranberry juice or a cool drink of water or something? Oh, I, I don't know. Something. I, I, I think I'd just like to thank you right now anyway for, for allowing me to come in your home and, and talk to you.
Your husband thought that people didn't want to come and see you? He thought. That's what he thought. They wanted to come and see what you have? That's, yeah. Because several of them, of the Negro visitors, I didn't get this comment out of the others. As they were leaving, they were turning and looking, oh, that's such a pretty table. Oh, that's so, 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 so. So he says, you see what I tell you? They didn't come see you. <laughs> Just want to see what you have. So you don't have many people in? Never. Well, why did you decide to let me come in? Because it was the quietest place we could find. Well, that's for sure. Well, I appreciate it. I if the library had been this quiet, we would have stayed downstairs. <laughs> and I had a sweater on. <laughs> we would have stayed downstairs. Well, people are funny. You know, I've decided that... Well, that's the funny side of me. Well, but you're you now. You don't have to do like that, you know? You can have people. No, I've got too many things sitting around. Well, that's true. Well, in 25 years, these things yeah. have been here. You collect. Well, Accumulation. Right. And I